Hello, I'm Maha Khan Phillips. Welcome to the latest episode of the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is a show for investment professionals focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are impacting our profession today. In this episode, I am delighted to be in conversation with Furio Pitribiazzi, and we're going to be talking about a range of issues from the boutique investment landscape to the trends and themes driving the asset management business today and more. I'm also looking forward to picking Furio's brain on his own experiences of working in our industry over some really interesting periods of time. For those of you who don't know him, Furio is CEO of Mediolanum International Funds, which is the European asset management platform of Banco Mediolanum Group. He is responsible for Mediolanum's business operations in Ireland and is a member of the board of Mediolanum International Life. He has been active in the Irish financial services industry for over 25 years, serving as a member of different government-sponsored advisory groups for asset management and funds. Having served previously as chairman of the board of directors of the Irish Association of Investment Managers and Board of Financial Services Ireland, he is still to today a member of the boards. Welcome, Fuyo. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me here today, Maha. Um, well, I'd like to start actually by bringing up um, the theme of boutique investment management. I read a couple of years ago that you had a goal for one third of your assets in your multi-manager portfolios to be in boutiques, in the boutique space. Can you tell me why you're such a fan of boutiques and what is the marketplace like at the moment? Well, one of the reasons clearly is the quality of outcome. Uh, and uh, because there is a, a research, there are a number of researches actually, that are highlighting the highly specialized managers. Uh, they tend to have better performance over the long term in terms of alpha. And um, this is particularly relevant for boutiques. And therefore, the key objective is to be able to deliver better quality to our own clients. Evidently, boutiques, because of their nature, we can't think about to have the entirety of our assets managed by boutiques because, like I was saying, in their nature, they are highly specialized. They tend to have one strategy, one investment process, and could be some flavors, different flavor of the same strategy. And therefore, it's... Uh, uh, it's not as scalable as it would be to work uh, to with larger asset managers than they have a different array of strategies. But clearly, the highly specialized one combined uh, with the many others, they certainly add more value. Interesting. So really opportunities there for um, nimble and dynamic boutique firms. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about this as well, um, there are strategies, clearly that some of the larger asset managers, uh, they, they tend to invest in new strategies, strategies that have the highest opportunity to generate uh, new assets uh, uh, growth. Uh, and uh, and they tend to leave behind uh, very often the strategies which are tend to be out of favor. If you think about in the past, we had strategies like value have been out of favor for quite a long time. And as a matter of fact, is one a strategy that you don't find easily in many of the larger platforms. But, um, you know, the boutiques who are the one that kept running the same strategy for a long time and continuing to invest their own money and resources to do a better and better results within the strategy, whether or not is in favor, you know, they've been the one that have been able to survive and to deliver quality on a relative basis, evidently. And... Uh, that's why for many of these boutiques, you know, become a great opportunity when we have seen 
the 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 change of style in the market and becoming certain for example value more attractive and being this strategy probably a little bit more abandoned in some of the largest players or close completely because of the outflow of assets or lack of interest for investors I mean, what's interesting is if you've, you've got the courage of your convictions, but if you are fo- following a strategy that's out of favor or, um, you know, not not making the returns at that particular period of time, does that make it challenging? Yeah, of course, it makes them challenging because we're talking about the, the key thing for them is generating relative returns, not the absolute returns. It makes for them challenging. But uh, again, another element that is very important is the alignment uh, of the PMs. They tend to be also shareholders of these businesses. And therefore, uh, having a long-term view in the way that they run money, where the assets value is not the bonus at the end of the year or the year after, but is the the, the value of the business, the long-term value of the business. And the only way to generate long-term value of the business is generating alpha. So you see, there is the best alignment between uh, investors and, uh, and asset managers and multi-managers like ourselves. So what's the market like right now for boutiques that are either not as well established or just starting out? Well, it's obvious that there is a, a polarization in the entire industry towards bigger players. And we see a lot of M&A going on to bigger players um, because clearly the larger distributors are keen to have a plug-in solution. So we, if we think about the number of years ago, everybody wanted to have everything. So the open architecture with everything on the platform was uh, technically was perceived as the best way to deliver value for the clients. Turned out to be that not necessarily was the case. We have seen a big change towards uh, guided open architecture. You know, within guided open architecture, again, we see now shrinking, 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 shrinking the number of uh, players on this open architecture when I'm talking about distribution, right? So, and within the context now, we see the players are even reducing even, even more. So they are selecting a narrow and narrow range of partners because they want to have a platform where they can have an end-to-end basic any solution. Why? Because regulations have been coming in, picking, putting more and more onus on the distributors. There is more um, uh, uh, regulatory burden, more operational burden, and so on and so forth. And then because of that, clearly, it's difficult to maintain too many relationships and therefore becomes more effective for a distributor to have a smaller amount of relationships. And uh, and the bigger one, they tend to win because they're also the one that are able to invest a lot of efforts as well in terms of marketing, branding, and so on. And training, because you know many of these distributors, they delegate the training to the asset managers. So boutique in this game, on the distribution game, they're not really uh, you know, a real contender. They struggle, they can't you know, uh, win. But on the other side, because of the quality of the returns and the focus on alpha, yeah, they have a, a growing opportunity in working in uh, the sub-advisory space and in the multi-manager space, you know. And we have seen the sub-advisory developing more and more, and that's why we see a huge potential there. And there was at our 25th anniversary when we presented the whole fund research, or fund analytics research, it was showing how this has been growing and the fact that sub-advisory has been growing even faster than traditional asset management. And being that... Uh, uh, specialization is key, quality of performance key, and even the big platforms, they need uh, to retain uh, their own assets where they don't have the right performance to delegate outside, or uh, they need uh, to delegate outside where they don't have the skills and competencies. And ESG and the area of ESG 
has become uh, clearly a big and important business line. But not necessarily all asset managers have these competencies, and that's where sub-advisory is growing a lot. And that's where boutiques are gaining a lot of traction as well. Interesting. And for you as a firm, how do you measure um, the success of your underlying managers? Well, uh, the success is clearly linked to the performance because our business is always linked to performance. But uh, uh, it's obvious that uh, we are there for the long run. Uh, we have a very low turnover in terms of um, uh, in, in terms of manager change because we do a very deep uh, and uh, uh, due diligence. So we invest a lot of time and energy. And we have quite a large team. I'm very proud today because I think that um, we have more than 70 investment professionals in Ireland. The majority of those are dedicated to the uh, manager selection of a uh, multi-manager portfolio construction. And, uh, and the experience um, is, is very high, you know, uh, and that's why we think that this is critical. So because if you do the long, good due diligence, you can uh, aspire to a longer relationship. And, uh, and going through the journey, even times where performances are not great, uh, the important thing is that we know that it's normal that because of the style or the investment process, you know, certain uh, uh, portfolio managers, certain uh, uh, asset managers, they might be suffering or being out of favor. But the important thing is to see consistency in what they do. And are there some uh, common sort of uh, cultural characteristics that these firms have that um, make them successful in your mind? Absolutely. The element of uh, the entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial mindset to me is fundamental. You know, the long term is fundamental. People are very keen in developing a relationship, not just because it's generating assets and revenue and the bonus at the year end, but they want to invest a day every client become a real business partner because they are entrepreneur. If you are an entrepreneur, you are always thinking about your clients as your business partners for the long term and you want to build a long-term relationship and you're doing everything to build a long-term relationship. Uh, this is a little bit more challenging to be able to have the same culture, the same imprint in a large organization because there are too many actors in the relationship with the client and because there are too many different logics in the way that the business is run in a larger organization, you know, starting from the remuneration, how the business is lies and dies, that the revenues of the business are lies and dies. Instead, you know, the, with the boutique, you are maximum transparency. You sit down with the CIO, you sit down with the key investment partners, and there is a clear transparency. They know that they they, they are sitting in front of you, there is something that they did well, and they are coming uh, in the outset to you straight away. And they are explaining to you why they do certain things, or why they did certain things, and why they think is the right reason. So it's a it's a very healthy relationship. And, and is there anything that would be sort of a red flag or any sort of common red flags, given that you do so much uh, manager selection that you see? But of course, um, the, the red flags are always linked about people. Uh, obviously, we have a process that looks at the parent, the people, uh, the process and performance, you know. Um, but uh, evidently, when we talk about boutique, uh, uh, boutiques, uh, people is uh, the most important uh, element uh, in my view, because all comes with that, because uh, usually parent company is a little bit irrelevant. Uh, you know, but you look at the people, if there is a, a, an issue uh, or material changes within the team, the investment team, this they tend to be 
the, the most worrying because automatically if there is a change in investment team, usually there is change over between shareholders. Uh, you know, so succession planning is a big thing in the boutiques, a very important thing that could be handled in boutiques. Uh, whether they are family-driven businesses, um, whether they are partner, you know, not family, but uh, different partners, even business with different seniority ages. So, you know, the succession planning is clear, uh, clearly in, a, in another important uh, element, in my view. In terms of process uh, performance, you know, not that they're not critical because you always monitor them, but you see, Usually when you're dealing with boutiques, the, their process has been their DNA. They're doing what they like, doing what they wanted to do has been the reason why they set it up their own business in the first place, or they want to spin off from an organization because they want to be more focused. They want to have more resources to invest in the business in what they try to do. So, you know, personally, if I have to pick one of the many, you know, I would be focused uh, on, um, on, uh, on people and succession plan. Interesting. Thank you. And what about more broadly stepping back some of the trends and themes that are impacting the asset management business today um, and also driving your business? What are some of the sort of key themes that you would pull out? Today, asset management is a very exciting business because um, uh, you have a, a lot of things you try to control, but uh, there are many other things uh, that are the most relevant that you can't control that are linked to the markets. So it's always juggling between what you can and what you cannot control and uh, and trying in within this environment to navigating the business. So today, you know, one of the things that to me is uh, one of the most exciting thing is the technology and uh, eventually the ability to be able to implement effectively certain new technologies. I've been always, we as a group, our DNA is based on technology innovation. Uh, we're part of a banking group that never had branches. <laughs> so. Uh, since the 90s when we had been established so and everything was digital since then but uh, uh, in the journey in our, in the answer management we have been struggling to have our vision implemented because uh, for, to a certain extent we were too innovative and therefore the technology and the infrastructures uh, uh, to support that implementation they were not uh, ready yet Today is much more than that. If you think about the, the artificial intelligence and access to artificial intelligence, and if you look at the, the CPUs that the computer can elaborate, if you if you think about being more effective in, in being able to manage data, because again, data is the elephant in the room, is something that has always been very critical. We were talking about big data many, many years ago. And, uh, but, you know, uh, in the past, it was more complicated to have a, uh, and to manage it eff efficiently and effectively. Today, uh, because of the fast speed and new entrants in our um, industry, even having players that are not naturally uh, uh, coming from our industry, like uh, players like Snowflake, uh, that they can help you to pull data efficiently from different sources at any time and can integrate seamlessly and so on and so forth, is uh, a fantastic enabler. Because uh, if you were going back, you could still get your data, but it was clunky, complicated, expensive. So you see, today I think that um, a very exciting thing is being able eventually to keep the right pace to uh, the technology implementation, which will be supporting, you know, faster decision making, better decision making. I'm not thinking about it to have computers taking the full decision in autonomously. 
I'm talking about more being able to look at more data and being able to do it in a, in a in much faster. It's so interesting how things have changed. I, I mean, imagine when you started out, which was over 25 years ago. When was it exactly for you that you started your career? Well, uh, to me, when I started out is uh, almost 28 years ago, 25 years ago in Ireland. And uh, I remember that uh, when I, one of my first jobs in the asset management was as an analyst who started classifying um, the annual accounts of the company, you know, because at that time, uh, each country had their own standard, you know, accounting standards. Uh, there was no system where you were just clicking and all the financial were reclassified and coming comparable for all companies, the same industry across Europe like it is today. So you had to start at that time with Excel and um, start filling in uh, the accounts and uh, reclassifying them to make them comparable, to be able to compare one company to another and one company to, in this, uh, to another company in different country. So it was a lot of work uh, and everybody had to do that work. So the information asymmetry was still an advantage at that time. Today, uh, thanks to the advancement, uh, the, the, the asymmetry of the information is not, uh, it's, it's almost inexistent at the moment. So that's why technology and trying to be able to look a much, much bigger uh, data set of information and trying to do faster enough and hopefully getting some help or some pointers how this data is relevant, uh, you know, and from technology, obviously using artificial intelligence can help uh, to, to deliver by, uh, better results. So a lot has changed, absolutely. I can just imagine our younger professionals listening to this are reacting with horror to that story of how you had to do that work. But yes, a lot has changed. But I think that, uh, you see, uh, it looks like centuries ago, uh, and I think that uh, the acceleration of our market um, and our industry has been so fast that uh, it looks completely uh, another century. Uh, but in reality, just 25 years ago, 28 years ago. Um, and I think with the pace that we are seeing today, uh, I wouldn't be surprised that in the next 15 years or 20 years, uh, they, they would be, uh, you know, an additional, uh, uh, an additional leap ahead um, in terms of... Uh, of, uh, of changes and um, and uh, how the markets operate. That's why it's fundamental. The, the education is fundamental, the training, the development of the people. You know, it's something that, uh, first of all, yes, technology, one pillar, but people development is absolutely the next pillar. To be able to keep people to be uh, the new investment leaders uh, in the next 10, 15 uh, years uh, and making sure that uh, they have uh, all uh, not only the tools but also all the competencies required in order to get there so how do you do that how do you kind of nurture the young talent and the young leaders of today or, or, or young people of today and i mean sure that they live up to their potential and they become the leaders of tomorrow absolutely i mean it's something that we've been thinking a lot uh, and um, how we could do that particularly in the investment area and we launched our um, investment academy mediolan investment academy uh, over two years ago. It's a program of 24 months where we select up to 10 people every year. Out of these 10 people, after two years uh, uh, program, we selected the two, three best out of it. And uh, and it continues to roll it. But uh, the key thing is that two elements. 
the three selected and have a five-year program. So it doesn't finish it there, a five-year program where it's going to make them able to get a, a predefined career in terms of professional, uh, in terms of role, but um, as well as uh, from the financial perspective, a very, war a very rewarding uh, uh, program. Uh, it, but during the two years, uh, the focus and the training happens from the most senior people. Because you see, one of the key things uh, is making sure that the guys are able to work with the people on the equity side, because we have also internally managed equities, internally managing income strategy on top of the multi-manager. So being able to work on the equity side, on the markets, macro market side, on the research, on the fixed income, on the quant, on the multi-manager, because you want to make sure that um, it's a it's a two way. You want to be you want them to really understand what they like, and you don't want them to learn it down the road, you know. And then they figure it out after two years. Oh, I don't like to do equities. I prefer fixed income. That's the reason why you want to give them the opportunity to see everything. Second of all, you want them to work with the most senior people. So we are talking about the head of fixed income, head of equity, head of multi manager, the CIO. Because these guys they tend to have a gray hair like me, and they and they've been developing many people for a long time, and they know exactly, uh, and they are able to be mentors to these guys and uh, helping them. Says, look, you know, I think that you like more this one. I think you are stronger in this one, in this area rather than in the other. So it's a two ways, yeah, uh, in this journey, and that's I think that is a massive. Uh, um, acceleration in terms of individual development and develop uh, as well a relationship of trust. A trust with the organization that is invested in people a lot, but in trust as well on their own leaders. And, uh, and this is very important because uh, you, uh, any business relationship, successful business relationship depends um, on, uh, on that. And obviously all of this has always been done in uh, a person no uh, on a remote uh, so not via video because again you need to help these people to be part of the team uh, to be part of uh, many discussions being part of many dialogue giving them the opportunity to ask a lot of questions and when you are an overflow like us and you see somebody that is not necessarily busy in that moment and you need something you can just immediately turn around going to them asking a question and that's another key important thing so being always very open to uh, uh, give uh, answers and uh, not be shy to ask questions. So these are the elements that we are pushing culturally in our organization. And hopefully we are gonna have the people that are gonna bring forward our investment process, continue to contribute on uh, our uh, investment decision-making, you know, and being uh, the, our uh, uh, investment leaders in the future. And obviously, you know, one of the other key things is that we support education to all these people. So, for example, ECFA is something that the, com the company sponsors regularly because we we believe that it's a very strong pillar on uh, the, the, the broader uh, uh, skill set that people need to be effective in an investment role. Amazing. Thank you. And I agree that culture of openness is so important. Can I just ask you, for you personally, what lessons would you pass on from your own career and your the own experiences that you've had? Well, this is something that I always do when I meet, because 
going back to the investment academy and make these guys in the investment academy they can be they tend to be very young coming out of the master and uh, i meet them regularly or every quarter i try to sit down with them and hearing about their experience if they have suggestions uh, you know to make their program more effective but um, you know when i'm doing the opening remarks to them i always uh, want to make sure that yes uh, yeah. The investment industry is exciting because uh, you tend always to meet very smart people, very articulated people. Uh, and uh, and it's super interesting because um, it, you get a, 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 a level of information that is unique. I don't think there are many industries in the world that, that have the breadth and depth of information that does the management industry has. From the political side to the economical side, at the industry side, the individual industry, on a global basis, which really uh, is uh, uh, super attractive, uh, super exciting for uh, the younger people that uh, are approaching the industry. But on the other side, it's an industry that is very tough because, like I said before, a lot of the variables that are driving our industry are the markets and the markets are not under our control and performance we know is cyclical you're trying to do all, all of your best <laughs> to keep the cycles as short as possible and in the long term obviously generating always great results for your investors but uh, it is necessary a lot of resilience uh, and this is not an industry for people that are not resilient the pressure that uh, the, our industry put on you in terms of results uh, uh, and um, uh, and uh, in the condition and market condition that we have to live uh, requires a lot of resilience a lot and more important requires a lot um, uh, to be able to see the big picture the the greater good what i call the greater good because sometimes everybody is so uh, focused in doing their own jobs that they forget what, why they're doing this job you know what, what they're doing is they maybe get stuck on the the alpha or the underperformance or and they miss the big picture that behind all of this all the work that we do there are big important objectives for families for individuals so we have a massive responsibility behind of what we do and therefore, uh, uh, again, if you think it properly, you know, one side you have pressure because of the market. You're on the other side, your competitors are doing better as well. So there are people that have been able to take an advantage better than you on uh, certain market conditions. So by itself, this generates more pressure. And then if you add on an additional layer, which is uh, knowing who the final investors are, what are their objectives, and how you can impact on their own long-term objectives, on the loan savings, you know, which are the effort of an entire life, you know, evidently, again, it's an additional element uh, that makes it the overall role uh, or job very, very challenging. And I've seen great investment professionals pulling out because they haven't been un able to handle this pressure, you know, over the years. Uh, and that's difficult because uh, it requires a lot of self-criticism as well, because you see another challenging element is people that they are uh, obviously confident uh, they are very confident of their abilities but um, they, they when things are not going as they should be 
you know, they are finding excuses that are the results of some other reasons, going back to markets or something else. So that's, again, requires a lot of self-criticism. And self-criticism is very hard on you psychologically, you know, because uh, uh, you need to accept that you are doing something, some things uh, wrong. You need to accept that other people are better. You, you need to accept that first, and then you need to try to understand how you can do better and how you can be better. Uh, so resilience uh, is a, a critical characteristic in order to be able to survive in, in the industry and uh, over the years, because um, uh, there, there will be ups and downs like in, in any business, but um, you know, uh, you need to be strong in, uh, in being able to go through this journey. But uh, again, requires a lot of work on yourself. And that's something that uh, I always been trying to help my colleagues, my younger colleagues, obviously, uh, in uh, in this journey and uh, helping them uh, uh, in recognizing uh, certain steps, what is required, uh, and uh, not feeling bad, uh, but understanding that this part of the journey. You know, is uh, is uh, if you want to be successful long run, you need to accept that this is part of the game. You know, uh, if you are uh, playing rugby or American football, it's inevitably that you are going to get out of the of the field with some bruises. You know, that's part of the game. Yeah, you can't win every game, but certainly you will come out with bruises, and then that's what you need to understand. If you don't want bruises, then um, probably that's not the sport that you need to play. You know. And in this industry is an industry which uh, people will come out obvious with a lot of bruises. And that's where uh, it's important that um, in the organization as well, uh, it's able to help uh, the uh, younger generation to blossom because uh, they can be very smart, but if they're not able to handle it psychologically or uh, they are not emotionally, you know, because that's another uh, important element, then you're missing uh, a, maybe great talent and a great talent where you have invested a lot of time and energy and money. And, and therefore, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of work there. That's so interesting. So broad range of, of, of themes there from building resilience to also having confidence and, and understanding that you're going to get a little bruised along the way. Thank you so much, Puri. This has been such an interesting and wide-ranging discussion from boutiques to the themes of asset management to um, how you nurture talent and what people, young professionals should know. Um, so I got some real insight from it. I really appreciate it. So uh, can I just say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And such a pleasure. And thank you as ever to our listeners. Uh, remember to look out for the next episode of our In Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK's SoundCloud channel or Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, Furio. Thank you.